Shalachem Rabbatai, Kalman Akiva Kovacs. I gave over the daf on Shabbat. It was Yevamot 26. This is a quick review because the daf had a lot of important concepts. We started on the Mishnah on 25b, and it was a continuation of the prior Mishnah that we saw on 24 and 25, where if there was a man who was instrumental in releasing a woman from her marriage, that was a little suspicious if that man then turned around and married that woman. So for instance, a man who brought the get and testified to validity of a get from overseas to release a woman from marriage, or a man who testified that she saw a woman's husband uh, die or, God forbid, be murdered, if these men would go at, go and then marry the same woman they released, it looked very suspicious. So the mission on 25b continues with a chacham, a sage who did not release a woman from a netter, and this netter was against her husband. She made a netter not to have any hana from her husband, and as we will learn in Nedarim, that is a nuclear bomb of Nedarim, and this chacham did not find a way to matir the netter, to release her from the vow, and as a result of the marriage ended. So here too it would be suspicious if this sage later married the same woman. But the Mishnah also notes that if there was a miyun or chalitza done in front of a man, well, a miyun is to release a woman who is married as a minor, and then when she reaches an age of maturity, she's allowed to walk out of that marriage because it was a durabanan marriage. We give her the option. If she chooses to continue, she may, and if she chooses to leave, now that she's grown up, we let her. Or if there's a chalitza done, then the men in front of which these activities are done that release a woman from marriage or from a bond to the Yavam, there's no suspicion if these men marry that woman because they are a Bezden. There's three of them. So the Gemara explains how it could be one sage's matir netter. We usually need a Bezden. As we do Erev Rosh Hashanah, Erev Yom Kippur, to matir netter, we, we sit as a Bezden. I mentioned the Sephardim even sit with ten because there's a source that 10 is needed to be matir klalot, and Sephardim are worried about klalot curses as well. But uh, you, we usually need a bezdin, but the law, the law is even a yachid mumche. One expert is allowed to matir neder, because Moshe, in Parshat Matot, Moshe spoke to the Rashi Matot of Bnei Israel. He spoke to the, the heads of the tribes, the leading sages of the tribes, and our sages learn from here that a yachid mumche, a real expert, can act even on his own to matir a neder. And we mentioned there's a difference between these men who release a woman from a marriage and are suspected of marrying them versus witnesses signing on a star. If witnesses sign on a star, they're allowed to later buy the field, or witnesses signing on a get, they're later allowed to marry the woman. Tosos points out it's not so... Not so gishmak. This is bal nefesh Someone who's careful is is not doesn't want to be involved in a legal proceeding and then go ahead and pick up that field or pick up that that woman. It looks a little strange, but minadin it's mutter. And the Gemara concluded they asked if these people did get married. The, the man who who brought the get or testified to the death of the first husband or the sage who did not release the vow that if they did go ahead and get married to the woman, we don't advise it they could indeed stay married. On 26, the Mishnah said, if these men already had wives, there's no suspicion if they later marry the woman that they freed. And we compared this 
to and, and their relatives as well their their fathers sons and brothers could marry these women we're not we don't suspect that a man would lie about a woman's uh, get or the death of her husband to help his relative maybe for himself but not for his relative we compared this to a case of not marrying the close relative of a woman if a man if a man and a woman there's rumors that something's going on then he's not allowed to marry her close relative Interestingly, Yosef Avinu married the daughter of Potiphar, and that could have been, we, we mentioned there's a medrash that wasn't, that was an adopted daughter, it was really the daughter of Dina and Shechem, possibly, according to the medrash, but he married her daughter to dispel any rumors, to put a rest, that there, there, were, there was no activity between him and Mrs. Potiphar, so he went ahead and married her daughter, because Yosef Avinu was aware of this Gemara and this Mishnah, and we mentioned that we learn out from the Mishnah, uh, there was a possibility this woman's first husband had died, then she got married in the interim, the second husband died, and then she marries the man who testified that her first husband died. Well, that sounds like she had two husbands pass away, which would make her a, according to Rebbe, Rebbe Yudanasi, it makes her a katlanit, a black widow, someone whose husbands die. There's a chazaka. Rebbe's careful, even two dead husbands is enough dead husbands, and he would advise a person not to marry this woman or to take out a lot of life insurance first. And they say maybe it could be Gerishin and uh, one, one Gerishin and one death, or vice versa, so maybe it, it, the Mishnah is like Rebbe. And we commented that Yehuda and Tamar is an example of this, where Rashi in the Chumash says that Yehuda was possibly misleading Tamar and did not intend for his third son, Shelah, to marry Tamar. And the Ramban says there's no way. Ramban says that Yehuda was not concerned that Tamar was a black widow, a katlanit. Rather, he wanted to wait until Shelah got older because he knew that his first sons, Aaron Onan, had been contributory to their own demise by their sins with Tamar. So Yehuda was aware of that and was not holding, like Rabbi Yehuda Nasi, that, that Tamar was a katlanit, but he was waiting for his son, uh, waiting uh, for his third, third son to do Yibam when he got older. So that's how he finished up the parak. Uh, the second parak, we moved on to Arba Achim. Now this gets a little intense. We get back to Zika. We get back to complex issues of Yibam, and this this situation of four brothers and the first two are married to sisters and they both pass away so now two sisters fall to yibam so we might have thought so fine so let the first surviving brother do yibam on one and the second surviving brother do yibam on the second the issue here is the the zika zika or zika the connection the bond between the the yavam the brother who survives and the yavama the widow if this Zika is strong, then there's a bit of interference because now that other that other woman is Achot Zikukato, the sister of a woman he has a Zika bond to. And we've seen in the last parak, you know, in Daf Yodches, Daf Yotes, that a Zika is a quasi-marriage. It looks a little like a marriage because there's an obligation on the brothers to take care of this widow, be it through Yibam or Chalitza. However, when there's an interference because he has a Zika, not only to one sister, Rachel, from, from his, his first deceased brother, but to this, her own sister, Leah, the widow of his second deceased brother. So because of this interference, because he has a quasi-marital connection to both of these women, we say he has to do a chalitza and not a yibum. 
The Mishnah does explain when there's a real erva connection between one of the surviving brothers and one of these women, for instance, she's a mother-in-law to his own pre-existing wife, then that knocks out the Zika between him and that particular woman, that widow, who's also a sister. So they could go ahead and do Yibam with her sister because the erva zeraisa prevents the Zika from interfering with the Yibam on the sister. So we mentioned that maybe the issue, and the Gemara explained, maybe the issue is not a strong Zika, but maybe it's like Rebbe Meir on Daf Yedches who said that we're worried about setting up a situation where it's going to be mevatel mitzvahs yivmin, where if another brother dies, now you have two women falling, two women who are sisters falling to the last brother in Yibam, and it'll be mevatel, there won't be a chance to do a Yibam there. So they point out that he worries when there's two surviving brothers that one might die, but not when there's three surviving brothers. Not worried two of them might die. This reminds us of the first daf of Yuma, that the Kohen Godel has to be married, and there's a machlokas, should he have a backup wife in case one wife dies? And the sages say, listen, if you if you say that one wife died, well, maybe two of them, God forbid. You know, there's Eilad of ourself, there's no end if you keep worrying about things. So Rabbi Meir is a little bit worried, but don't be too worried. Then we get into the sugya on 26b of a weak chalitza. They call it a chalitza pasula. It's not puzzle. It does work, but it only works for that specific brother. And the reason is a chalitza in a situation where yibum is impossible is weaker because chalitza stands in for yibum. Chalitza is a yibum replacement, but when yibum is impossible because of the issue in the Mishnah, the achot zikukato, he has a quasi-marital bond, not only to this widow, but also to her sister. So he can't marry either of them in Yibam. He has to do Chalitza instead. But since Yibam's impossible now, it weakens the force of the Chalitza. Chalitza is not a perfect stand-in for Yibam. So we examined a situation where a woman, a, a, the third widow, might potentially need to obtain Chalitza from all of the surviving brothers because they've already done a chalitza to the previous widows, so she's a chotz chalitzato. There's an impossibility to do yibum on her because of the relationship she had to the other widows, so there's no chance of yibum, so it makes the chalitza weaker. We, that carried us on to Daf 27, examining the issue that there can be variations in the degree of attachment between the yavam and the yavama, and that can create situations where the chalitza done to one of the co-wives will exempt the others because it was a, a stronger connection between the widow and the surviving brother, but a chalitza done on certain co-wives because there's a weaker connection, there's an impossibility to do yibum in some of those situations, chalitza done there will not exempt the co-wives. We see there are varying degrees of chalitza possible. This is all on a derabanan level, deraisa, chalitza is a chalitza, but here, because of a chodzegukato or a chalitzato, situations that prevent yibum from taking place cause a weakening in the power of the chalitza as well. Shkoyach.